Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's guest is Chris Garza from Suicide Silence. This is one of my all-time favorite bands. I consider them to be the definitive deathcore band. Absolutely love these guys. Really excited to have him on the podcast and talk about some stuff about the band that I don't think people have heard before, or at least I haven't, and I would say that I probably know more about Suicide Silence than the average person, so... I think this is new stuff. We get into a lot of stuff, really going back to the very beginning of the band and talking about how they kind of approached the challenge of coming up in a scene full of so many amazing bands and like, how do you stand out from the crowd there? We talk about how they changed and evolved the band over time and worked with some of the amazing producers that they did. But most importantly and most interestingly, we talked about the mental side of things. Like, how do you manage your own psychology? And talk about, you know, some of the most difficult times that they went through as a band. For example, you know, obviously when they lost Mitch and then when they put out their self-titled album that did not go over so well, we talk about that. Talk about working with Ross Robinson and just kind of growing and maturing as a human and as a creator. And, you know, those are the kind of conversations I like to have. So I'm really excited about this one and I think you will be too. Before we get into it, Wanted to mention the usual things. Number one, if you would like to support the show in some way or another, there's a few things that you can do. First of all, you can share it on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok. We don't care. Just tag me, tag the guest, tag our producer, Deanna, if you don't mind. Number two, you could buy some merch if you want. There's a link to that in the show notes. Number three, if you really, 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 really like us, really like us, you can support the show on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes as well. Patrons get access to every podcast a week early. There's also a chance for me to review your band or podcast or YouTube channel. Deanna is doing some consultations about podcasts if you're trying to get one of those off the ground. And speaking of Deanna, if you have questions about all things podcasts, definitely hit her up. There's a link to her information in the show notes. And with that out of the way, let's get into the episode. Chris Garza of Suicide Silence, welcome to the podcast. What's up, everybody? I have to put on my podcast voice like, hey, everybody, welcome. Welcome back. Watch out for brake lights in the 405. (laughs) Welcome to the show, everybody. (laughs) Maybe I'll have a second career as a uh, morning drive time DJ. There's a plan B. Yeah. Right on, brother. We were kind of just talking about this, but as of now, it is May 6th and everything is kind of still locked down. Are you in Corona? Yep, I'm currently uh, born, raised, still Corona. So you are like no d- relation to the <laughs> fucking virus. <laughs> yeah, do, do you, what do people think about the name of it? There, I found myself like I'm always proud to say and take pride to say I'm from Corona, but the past few months have been kind of weird. I mean, hey, I'm from uh, but no relation Southern to what's California. going on. Yeah, Southern California in a small town. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. 
Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you, speaking of Corona, is like the IE. So for anybody who's listening, the Inland Empire is like the area of Southern California that's like east of LA and San Diego and Orange County and stuff. And it's like considered uncool in California, but has always had like the sickest scene. Like totally, I would say better bands in LA by far. Totally agreed. Why do you think that is? I don't know. There is a lot of bands that, uh, especially when we were, we were coming up, like there is all so many bands from the and, and, and the Island Empire is, you know, obviously like, you know, a lot of combined counties and really big cities, you know, big, a uh, lot, lot of small towns. So I don't know what it is, but a lot of bands came out from the IE, something in, in the water or something in the pizza. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you know? who, who would be some of the bands like when you guys were coming up that were your peers kind of from the area? From that area, a very smaller band, but they were from Riverside. They were a band called Wrench. Oh, yeah, they were awesome. Ever heard of Wrench? Yeah, like real heavy, sludgy. Super fucking heavy. And they were from Riverside. And uh, yeah, and and me and Mitch like always bonded over that one band. They were like like the standout band from, from that area. I know one other person that likes Wrench, which is, uh, I don't know if you know him, Javier Van Hus that used to be in 18 Visions and stuff. Oh, yeah, Javi. Yeah. yeah, cool. He's the only other person I know who has probably ever even heard Wrench. <laughs> Wow, yeah, yeah, because uh, the drummer for Wrench was uh, he played drums for Throwdown for for a bit, so they kind of like you know it's, it's just right. Probably the only not 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 that I, I think of it. It's pretty rare when you have like the Orange County scene combined with the IE scene. Yeah, because so kind of one big thing. Yeah, you want you want rivals, but it was kind of like you know a thing. Right. Yeah, so it's cool that uh, that the drummer of Throwdown was what was a Wrench. You know, you bring when you put a groove over a fucking low a low riff, it just it feels so right. And not that many people were doing that back then. Uh, back then, no. Not like in our scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it, it was a very, not just IE, but even like the surrounding counties, like a, like a Orange County or LA. Those bands would come to Corona because, you know, I'm very lucky. I live literally walking distance down the street from the Rest in Peace Showcase Theater. And all these bands would, would, uh, would play the showcase and they were all fucking heavy. So there was... You know, and of all styles, you know, you have like, you know, you have the like the definite bands that that are really heavy. You have like the, I guess, the metalcore style that are really heavy. You had the straightish hardcore scene. It was all really up there, and the and and, and the competition and the bar was set really high, yeah. pretty straight straightforward. Yeah, I mean, you think about in, I don't know, two thousand four or something like that, when these were all local bands, and you could see like Suicide Silence and Carnifex playing together as local bands. And that's a pretty fucking high bar to set. Yeah, it's nuts, man. I think they were from like the San Diego area. Yeah, I think yeah, they, they, they would come up here too. I have a theory that like with Orange County and the IE, the reason why the scene is good, it's also the same reason that there's so many bands from Dayton, which is, you know, a small city kind of out in the middle of nowhere in Ohio. They're like yeah. close enough to big cities that they kind of, have some sense of what's going on, but not so close that they're spoiled. So they have to like do their own thing. Cause like if you live in LA or even, you know, even Cleveland, which is a big city, like you don't necessarily have to create your own scene cause you can just, there's shows all the time. You just go. But if you totally. live, you know, in Corona, I mean, there is the showcase, but you know, it's not like there's some huge scene there. Like there is in LA and same with orange County. And so people there, yeah, just kind of have to do their own thing and they're and they're 
not so close to like, and the reason why it's different is because they're not in the city. So they don't kind of know the rules. Yeah. 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 You got, you know, everyone's just kind of borrowing from, from each other. And yeah, you like, like you said, you got to kind of go out and, and find and find some cool shit. So w- one thing I wanted to ask you about was back then in say, you know, the mid two thousands to late two thousands when like the death core thing was new, that was not part of the metal scene. Metal people were not cool with deathcore, and especially with you guys. And I'm, I, it's very interesting to me because I remember the first time I heard Suicide Silence, I was like, "This is heavy as fuck. This sounds more like Cannibal Corpse than like what I, I was expecting it to sound like as I lay dying or something." Not that that's a bad thing, but like, I was like, "This is brutal as fuck." Like, how do death metal people not like this? Yeah, yeah, it was like written off for like so long. It's so weird. Like we were always trying to like play because we would play any fucking show. That's that was kind of like the appeal and the kind of the goal of what me, uh, me and Mitch wanted to do. Just play. You want to be able to play the hardcore shows so that the Orange County hardcore bands, straightest bands come down here. We, we, we could play with them. But if a fucking metal band from the East Coast comes down, we could also hop on that bill. Yeah, there wasn't really any like acceptance, especially from like from the metal scene pretty early on. Like we're kind of like kind of like, like the misfits, you know, just doing like our own thing, saying, fuck it. And now it's really backwards. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where the time goes or how things happen, but it just, I guess like, it kind of just happens slowly, you know, but. Well, you're wearing a Slipknot shirt right now, and I think Slipknot's a good example of that. Like, everyone fucking hated them in 2001, and, you know, in the metal scene, that is, the the real metal scene, and now it's everyone's favorite band. You you know, you just got to stick around long enough that all the yeah. haters die or go away. Yeah, there is something to be said about time, and just put it in that time, and you can't, you can't force it, so you got to write it out, and, you know, and, you know, and we were talking, now, now it's cool to do it, but, like, you know, we were talking about Corner Slipmont openly in like the metal scene when it was not cool to do so. So even that even made it more like, oh, they're, you know, they're they're not metal because they're, they're talking about Corner Slipmont wearing wearing the shirts. Right. But now it's more accepted. But back then, that was a big fucking no, no. Yeah. Yeah. And people don't understand that. Yeah. Now, Slipknot's, you know, it's the coolest thing in the world to wear a Slipknot shirt. I know it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm wearing the same shirts I war for 20 plus years and now right. i guess it's it's cool I, I don't know well you just gotta wait long enough and everybody comes around yeah and who fucking knew split mom was gonna get that fucking big i did not call that no and they keep getting bigger man special bands special guys too they're it, make, it makes a lot of sense it totally does i mean especially you know with the classic lineup you had so many people in the band that were like just great at what they do, but also pretty big personalities. I mean, you know, Joey and, and Paul were, I mean, especially Joey was like a, you know, very charismatic person with a big personality who could, you know, yeah. carry his own weight too. So anytime you have like multiple people in a band with big personalities like that, it doesn't surprise me. And their music is really good. I mean, it's like, that's the perfect formula. That's it, man. You want, you got those, those big, they're, they're just big in every fucking way, man. Like they, they weren't afraid to be them. And also Paul Gray was from Venice. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Venice Beach, California. So there's like a little hint of fucking SoCal and in, in, in Iowa. You know, I, I, I didn't know that until unfortunately after Paul passed away. I'm like, so you know, you do like you do like you're you're digging, you want you want to learn more about about these people and Yeah. It's like, oh shit, he's from he's from Venice. What the hell? And he was from you know, he's older than me, so he was from Venice when it was still like a gang infested shithole. Yeah, yeah, Ven- yeah, not 
like it is now. Yeah, it was probably I, I bet back then it was probably like 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 more like a shithole, you know. I, <laughs> totally. I mean, I remember like when I was a kid, like in the '80s, Santa Monica and Venice were not cool. They were scary. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I always hear. And again, time time changes things. Yeah, any it's the interesting thing about California, about the West Coast in general, as compared to the rest of the country, is like. The West Coast gets better over time. Yeah. I can't think of a single place on the West Coast that's worse now than it was 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, that is kind of one thing about I've always like thought about where I live and how lucky I'm going to be from California because you're just always surrounded by, you know, just everything. You're yeah. surrounded by literally everything and you can't like you can't help but just fucking be your best. You can look at it two sides. You know, you get you have these people. This person probably say, oh, well. They're from California. It's easy. It's easy for them to break out. But and my thought process was like, no, we're from California. There's all this competition, and we need to fucking dominate all of them. Yeah, I mean that is a seriously high bar to clear. Totally, and you know a lot of a, uh, a lot of subconscious pressure. Yeah, it's crazy. Tell me about that. Like, when did you ever actually have like conversations about like we need to be better than everyone, or was it just kind of an unsaid thing? Unsaid, and uh, it was very feeling based. We came out swinging the moment like we started playing stuff. Like we were, uh, you know, once once I met Mitch was it was actually in in this room. I, I remember the moment he walked in, and then he started singing. I'm like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> You're like competitive with, with the bands around you, but yet like, but you kind of know they don't have a fucking chance. <laughs> <laughs> it's like man, like just we would treat practices as live shows like we probably have better live shows in, in this room than like at, at showcase or like or at any big festival we would go off on here just crazy and like every person that that, that kind of came in that was new we were just always like rocking out so people had to whoever joined had to adapt quickly so oh shit this is serious <laughs> it's interesting to hear you say that because you know i mean i don't really know you guys i've met you guys a couple times over the years but you guys are all like pretty chill, relaxed guys. But at the same time, you're talking about, you know, being pretty intensely competitive and serious about what you actually do. Totally. Which goes back to like, like the personality thing. Like I've always wanted people in the band that is able to do their own thing. You know, you kind of like let them be, you know, and I, I, I am my thing. Each member that comes in, Mitch had his thing, obviously. Mark has his thing. Dan Kenny has his thing. Alex brings his thing. You kind of you let them be them. Yeah. And I, I can see why bands don't do that because, you know, being in a band fucking sucks. <laughs> You're married to four guys that all think that all have, you know, some kind of kind of level of ego. But, you know, there is something worse than that. And them not having that, that opinion and that driving that passion that, that that truly makes the band great. And that now was really subconsciously unspoken, like really like allowed from before there was even a suicide silence. Right. Once you have the foundation, it was, that's it. I mean, you never had a bad recording. A lot of bands will have some really embarrassing, shitty demo or something like that. But I mean, even like your demos, like they're maybe not the best thing you ever did, but they're good. Thanks. Yeah, we, we were always like, how can we make this like the sickest? We were, we were like that even when we were kids, like, you know, late teens, we were doing like, we are doing like the uh, demos and, you go to the spot that you're hearing people talk about that sounds really good. We're like, oh, well, we're going there. And then it's always kind of the demos to the EPs and then the records. It's always kind of kind of built from from there. But there was always like, how can we make this like the sickest? And again, because, you know, we're, we're surrounded by great bands mm -hmm. from all levels, from like the play the bar to the showcase to the Hannes Center or the outdoor theater, which is only 40 minutes from here that they would have the Ozfest and later on became the Mayhems. Like you're surrounded 
by great shit. So you, you couldn't help if you were serious, which we were about being like the best possible, you know, on, on, on all levels. And it's, it's still that way. It's crazy. There was a time I would say, and you probably can't say this about yourself, but I'll, I'll say it. There was a time and I would say, I don't know, 2008 or something like that, where I would say that you guys were the most copied band in the scene. Like, there are so many fucking Suicide Silence clones. And some of them are, were good, but nobody did it as well as you guys did. How does it feel when you see these bands that are just, like, very obviously trying to copy? And I don't think that... I mean, I'm not, like, trying to put them down. It's natural. People do that. But is it weird when you're like, man, there's, like, a billion bands that are trying to just do our thing? Super weird. In fact, that's probably one of, like, the weirdest things that's probably happened in our in our career and it, it ha- it's been that's been happening since literally our demos. Like I think I don't know why people like Suicide Silence to be honest. I think there is like this kind of schizophrenic element to it, where like we wanted to play really fucking fast, but we also wanted to do really heavy shit. So like those two extremes, like you put it in one one fucking band, it's very like schizophrenic. Yeah. But but you do both really f- fucking good, and that was off like the fucking bat like demos, and we're putting out EPs. And I'm, I'm not going to say like like their names anymore, but like bands were listening to the EP, looking at my Rick R rigs, and then <laughs> going home and buying it, and tuning the things, and like putting like a shitty EMG and like all torn up. I was like, I was like, what the fuck yeah. is going on? And to actually see it, it's nuts. So even before we were signed, that that was going on, and that's kind of like, you know, Mitch said it way better than me. But like, well, every everyone copied this, so like now we got to do some something else. So. We couldn't even have like a foundation as like a band yet, but already we're like, oh shit, we we gotta keep like evolving. We we, we gotta keep trying new stuff. So that kind of right. set the wheels in motion where every record we we've been doing something different as far as musically and recording wise. Every yeah. record we've done something kind of off the wall that no one can really copy. And now we could think finally, we go after our whole career. I think we now it's the time we could finally hone in on all those records and right. truly see what what we could kind of. But yeah, it's fucking weird, man. <laughs> well, there's a lot of things in there I want to talk about. One of which is like, you know, you're talking about people copying your your rig and stuff like that. And what, of course, those people all found out is that it's in the hands, not the rig. And it's interesting to me that although you've recorded with a lot of different people and had a lot of different mixers and stuff, like your tone, I can still hear it on every recording, no matter what. Like it's super clear it's instantly recognizable thanks man that's kind of like the main thing that separated us from day one i'm literally i'm, I'm 34 i'm literally just now i'm doing your your podcast i'm doing these things but i was never like a talker i was i was mute i wasn't introverted i was an introvert and those two those two things are very like separate right so throughout my teens you know i wouldn't talk and i also had a really bad stutter so every time i did talk i would get like picked on right so that made me even go even more but the cool thing about that is, like, I really learned from an early age how to listen to myself, listen to general people and observe bands. And uh, I, I've had no ego from a very young age. And when I see a band play, I like, like, like at the showcase, I, I knew in my soul that they were all better than me. I knew that. All the, all the guitar players were, were fucking technical shredders, really great guys, great players, all of them from, from the Orange County and the IE. Yeah. Whoever came in, like I could see it, like all these guys are better than me, but they can't do what I do. And 
when Suicide Silence played, like I played from my bones. Like it's just, I played from like the deepest part of my soul. I knew that I had access to that, and none, none of them did it. So, I, so hence, you know, I wasn't a great guitar player. Technically, you're kind of forced to like play rare set or based on feelings as opposed to the ears and mind. That's kind of what like maybe that's what people la- latched onto. You know, like I think that's a big part of it. Is especially. There was a time like after Joey Sturgis came out, who's a good friend of mine, a business partner of mine. So I don't mean this in a bad way at all. But after Joey came out and made his recording so fucking clean, I feel like a lot of people went in that direction in a way that really killed the energy of their music. And you and you guys have never been like that. I mean, you guys are very tight players, but. I mean, so I'm pretty good friends with Machine and Evitz, and so I'm pretty familiar with how you guys recorded. Mm-hmm. You did a lot of recordings live, which nobody does, and you can hear it. I mean, it sounds it sounds so fucking angry and pissed because it's it sounds like guys playing in the practice space. Yeah, it's what it is, you know. And we did it with all the record that just came out. You know, we're we're in the we're in the room just hashing it out for who knows how fucking long, just jamming, jamming, being abandoned. And of course, people always talk about, you know, the cleansing and, you know, that was us just being in the room for, I mean, just, I don't know how long we were writing our record or just playing in, in, in this room in, in, in this garage, yeah, playing the songs. It kind of boggles my mind, like how everyone copied like, like the sound, but not like what is behind the sound. Yes, exactly. Which is why, you know, I'm on, I'm on your podcast and why I, I watch all your videos because, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of people that like, you'd be surprised how many people aren't willing to just learn like nuances and yeah. little things here and there. You'll be surprised how many people won't won't do that digging. I mean, with you guys, what a lot of people don't know is that it's very common for a band to show up at the studio never having played the songs together before. Like, that's super common, which is dumb in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's it lots of bands do that. Or maybe the songs aren't even finished, which is crazy to me. And that's why your recordings sound so good is i mean obviously you guys work with great producers too but that's why this sounds so good is because when you show up to the studio you can fucking play them you know the songs like you said there's feeling there yeah it's playing the best you can and uh again off the bat you know we're, we're always experimenting so that first record we're like all right we're very ross robinson inspired like all right like we want to do a live record like we want to go in a room and just jam out live and that's the record we met a person named john travis and not a lot of people talk about that guy, but he is a rock producer. He's not, he doesn't do metal. Right. So then that attracts guys like us. They're like, oh, wait, he doesn't do metal? Then he's, the, to this day, no one has topped what he did because he's the only guy that, like, there was no, like, there was no ceiling. Obviously, he's smart. He, like, he did, like, you know, Kid Rock, Devil Without a Cause. He did, like, Sugar Ray, like, really crazy, like, ro- like rock albums. And, his theory and how he recorded, obviously he knows his shit, yeah. but he didn't like let his ego or theory really like move what we, we were doing. He he saw what we were doing and like, I'm not going to impose anything. I'm going to try to get this. Yeah. So things that you kind of do now, like, oh, you, well, oh, now you got to like cut out the game on the amp, you got to turn the mids up and all, right. like, all this bullshit. To this day, the guy has not done that. He didn't touch my rig at all or marks. Or, he just like, is this how you guys sound? This sounds fucking great. And he right. found a way since he was a metal guy he found a way to capture it and just make it come through two speakers. And his, it was his un, unconventional way of doing things and his open mind. And, and man, he, he's a fucking cool guy. John Travis, man. And um, I kind of wanted, like, 
other bands do that. They do. It's obviously to sound sick. I want other bands like to fucking go do records live and give it that raw emotion sound. And no one did it. They're lazy. <laughs> no one fucking did it. They're lazy. That's what it comes down to. They don't want to because that means you have to practice a bunch. And they'd rather go in the studio and record things four notes at a time and have somebody fucking <laughs> edit it all together, which, I mean, if that's what you want to do, fine. But I just don't think it sounds good most of the time. Jimi Hendrix said it the best. Like, it's just these artists put, they make it sound so beautiful and perfect that you don't feel anything from it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a deal has things that we still do. You know, you can't really base a riff. So we had the cleansing on Nail the Mix, the company I work for. And if you drop that on the grid and Pro Tools, it's quote unquote sloppy, you know, like that's the kind of thing people look at me like, oh, I got I got to fix this. But if you fixed it, that would ruin it. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys had the I guess I would say like the balls to leave it alone. It's left it. Yeah. What what feels right. It felt right. And, you know, we wanted to do a live record and we find a producer that was willing to do it. Yeah. Again, like he didn't use like his his own personal theory to like try to change shit. Like he left shit that like, man, now I look back at what we've done at records after that, that would someone that shit would have been deleted or like right. fixed up or like, man, it's perfect. He let it happen, man. Yeah. And like he, there's no ceiling and special guy. How did you guys end up working with him? Because that's a very unusual choice for like, you know, a quote unquote scene band at that time. Yeah. Good question. We, we had a meeting with them at, I think, is it gone now? I might still be there at the Hustler store on Sunset. <laughs> uh, we like we all we all had a meeting with him and I think we met him through Century Media. Okay, that makes sense. We told him what we wanted and we're not doing anything else. We, we don't care about the cost. A million dollars, two dollars, yeah. we don't care. Spend, spend it. John Travis came up and then this, you know, the, he walks in and we we just clicked, it clicked. And uh, to this day, a producer that I have personally haven't like clicked that you know hard with, and yeah. he just got it and he just made it sound the way it was supposed to sound. It's no ceiling, no nothing. It's great. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce, and I'm Nolan, and this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on... The corner of Gray Street. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. 
But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use HyperFollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. So let's talk about the Black Crown, which I would say is kind of the next big step forward, where which at the time sounded very, very, very different from what anybody else was doing. Like, I didn't like it at first because it was, I don't know, more polished. It had like more of the new metal kind of stuff. And it took a while for me to kind of come around to it because it was just so different from what anybody else was doing. How did you guys kind of decide to go in that direction and add, especially like the new metal stuff? Yeah, it just, just kind of came out. Again, being a band is, you know, I'm not, I'm grateful, I'm not complaining, but it's super tough. And a lot of times just being a band is just trying to uh, go forward the best you can with, with the current tools you got. It's not going to be perfect or your standard, but sometimes your best isn't always going to be that level. It's yeah. not. If, if you're a human, it's not. And, uh, with, with the Black Crown, we just got, the previous record was with, with Machine. So we did, uh, that was like to a click. And like, I didn't even play much on it. And then like, but, but the drumming was like kind of sliced and- Machine will do that, yeah. And uh, so, okay, you know, like, like we did that. Now now we're gonna try maybe something in like, in like the middle. Let, let, let's, let's try something new. And then that was uh, Steve Evans. We're obviously all big fan of like Hate Breed, you know, Satisfaction is a fucking heavy yeah. ass record. Any '90s hardcore record that sounds good, there's a 80 percent chance that Steve Evans did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he knows how to make shit sound fucking sick, and he does yeah. a great job at that. That's how we got introduced to him, and then we were incorporating a lot of elements. Like, we just got laptops, and we were like doing adult drum machine stuff, and uh, again, like just trying to go forward. You know, Alex was kind of having a hard time. I mean. The playing part is so easy, but throw on touring and chicks and drugs and alcohol, right. man, you're, it's, that's when shit gets really tough. I mean, we're just trying to go forward and, and then that kind of, that sound has kind of came out naturally. And again, yeah. at that time, it wasn't really that prominent. So again, we're just doing what we always do. Let's just do this because it's what we want to do. Yeah. And to the conversation we were having earlier, I remember people were like, what the fuck? This sounds like corn. 
<laughs> yeah, it just kind of came out, and uh, I don't know. It, it just came out that way. And it wasn't cool to sound like corn in 2000. Did that come out in 2011 or 2012? I can't remember. Yeah. You know when a band just like owns the tuning? Corn owns A. Totally. I mean, it's just, totally. And Slipmont owns, Slipmont owns B. <laughs> right. And it's just like, <laughs> and, and Meshuggah owns F. Right. So it's kind of one, one of those things. Also, there was, there's so much elements that I can't even like, a lot, a lot of shit, a lot of like lost focus, but doing our best to keep focused. Well, it's interesting that you would say all that because it doesn't seem like that way at all from the outside and certainly not that recording, which is like a really tight, like clean recording. Yeah, we wanted things to be a little bit more tight and uh, Zeus mixed it, which again, Zeus, like, he mixed right. some hapery shit, like Blood's been shed. Yeah. So like, we knew like he could like make it still sound like, you know, heavy as fuck. So the, the Steve Evans-Zeus combo was like, I mean, it was kind of like one of, I call them insurance policies <laughs> where like, you know, it's just, that's going to sound great. Yeah. You, you'll never go wrong with Zeus and Evitz. Like, so yeah, that's a good insurance policy. All right. So let's talk about the self-titled album, which I, I'm interested. Obviously people did not like that one. And I'm interested in how that felt, because if I put out a video or even just an Instagram post that gets a super negative reaction, like it, it makes me feel shitty. It, it sucks. Like, I feel it. But for me, I put something out next week and, you know, it's like, all right, well, now that other video doesn't exist anymore. For a band that puts out an album, you're, you know, you can't just make it go away next week. T tell me about how that felt. It felt right at the time and it feels right now. It's always how can we evolve the sound? And this uh, goes with, with your point. Like, you got to have thick skin. And one thing that we got after Mitch passed away was thick skin. Right. So everything that happened after that, everything, even like uh, money, no money, uh, record that's not selling, that's literally like dust on my shoulders. Like, okay, cool. Right. Because anything compared to that is easy. That's a good perspective. We got to have thick skin and we got some, uh, me, press, I got some thick skin. I, I could take pretty much anything, any kind of punishment psych psychologically. Yeah. You know, and there was, we had, we had the first record with Eddie and it felt good. Like when we put out that record, we toured off and we got, we did some big fucking tours with Eddie. Like yeah. we did, we did the mayhem with them. And then we did like direct support tour of corn with Eddie. It was like, what the fuck is going on? And, uh, after that, like I had the idea of like, I just kept getting like these visions and like, man, like we need to start over. It's pretty apparent that we need to like start from scratch again and and rebuild yeah so we kind of sat in this room and just kind of chatted like you know what if this was our last record you know what will be put out and then you had the self-titled and then it's hard for people to understand or even explain it but uh, we're lifers i'm a lifer i've been in suicide science 24 7 for 18 years so i'm, I'm obviously in, in, in the long game and sometimes like if you want to do like, like like a certain sound or a certain record it's going to take you multiple records to get there. Yeah. And then I felt that right off the bat, you know, this is whatever happens, happens. I don't care if it blows up, if it sells zero copies. To me, it's literally like like the same. Yeah. All right. Well, if we do this on a self-titled, it may not seem like it from the outside, but from the inside, it's we're building a new foundation that's going to last us literally the rest of our career. Yeah. After You Can't Stop Me, it was apparent like, we need to start over. Like this, like, this is not sustainable. Like, we need, we, need, we need to kick in the ass. We need to reset. So what kind of had for, and every band is their own story. Every band is their own journey. So in our journey, part of our story is we need to do a career worth of experimenting on one record. Mm -hmm. 
That's what's going to make sure that we're a suicide science in 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And we were willing to fucking do it. And again, like, like, like our demos, like, like the cleansing, like the Black Crown, and not give a fuck. Yeah. And we, uh, we did self-titled. And goddamn, dude, it was even more than what I thought. It was, it's all about a toolbox. And a toolbox that Ross Robinson gave us, it was too much that we couldn't even use it that much on our, our last record. It was just like, there was a lot of, a lot of shit to use. And uh, obviously there was stuff going on behind the scenes to get that record out. But Tell me about the toolbox. When you go through a different producer, a different way of recording, we do that to learn. We don't want to go to, like, to the same guy because you don't really learn much. You learn a lot like, the first time, yeah. and then you kind of don't. And uh, each record, we got a toolbox. You know, like, The first record was done live with a, a rock producer. <laughs> you know, Then we went with Machine. That's his own guy. Yep. Steve Evitz is his own guy. We went back with Evitz. With the first record with Eddie, then we went with Ross Robinson, which is like the king in that that scene. He's he's like he's one of he's one of my favorite people on this planet. Like Ross Robinson is my him him and Monkey are like my my two idols. And everybody probably knows this, but in case you don't, Ross Robinson is probably the thing that put him on the map as producing the first Corn album, which changed metal forever as soon as it came out. Totally. And tell me about working with him because I've I've heard stories, and it sounds like working with him is very different from working with most producers. It's ass backwards. Everything you think you know about doing a record, throw that in the trash. Because you try to approach it like you did on any other record, you're, you're fucking done. And uh, you won't learn. So it's not like, okay, we're going to do drums, then bass and guitars and vocals, then we're out of here? Yeah, he has his own thing. And uh, exactly what we wanted. You know, want to go to Ross and try everything and learn and soak in as much as we can so we could take it to our future. You know, so we were we were living with him in, in Venice Beach for two months. I wake up, have coffee and walk around and see Ross, you know, on his bike outside. It was, it was a fucking trip, man. <laughs> I asked a friend of mine who recorded with him. And mind you, this is a friend of mine who is in the hardcore band Judge. So it's not like he's easily kind of impressed or, you know, swayed or anything like that. I was like, what was it like recording with Ross? What's he like? And he's like, he's a fucking cult leader. I would do anything he told me. If he told me to jump off a cliff, I would do it in a second. Uh, do the same, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Ross's thing is he gets in your head. Yeah. I remember the first time we were in a room. He records the drums in like this little fucking room and you're all in there. And you're also in there with Ross Robinson. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? And at that time, we were all pretty young, late 20s. So I was still like a pretty fanboy, dude. Like I was still like, it wasn't, it wasn't until my like early 30s where I truly got like my kind of beat. Well, like, I, I, I could think and talk now. Cool. <laughs> same here. <laughs> yeah. Late 20s, I'm like, damn, it's Ross Robinson. I'm freaking out. And uh, when he did his thing the first time, like, you're on the room, Eddie's there with, with, with the fucking vocal mic, and we're talking about what, what the song means, and you fucking fill up with this fucking fear and, and the goosebumps, and then you start tracking, and you start tracking drums. And I was like, oh, all the history. I thought about the bands before us, and like, I get it. Okay, cool. <laughs> So at that point, it wasn't about putting out like a big record. It wasn't about putting out a deathcore record. It wasn't nothing. It was like, we need to learn. And we need to just let go, drop the egos, drop things to where, to where, where they were. Yeah. You know, like, so, you know we're, we're, we're a garage band. We're a bunch of kids that just love playing music. We need to get back to that so we could build again. Right. And then it came out, and then holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you must have known that there was a good chance people wouldn't like it. Yeah, I'm definitely the wrong guy to ask about that because I'm really like, I'm not focused with, with that stuff. I can't. I see. You know, I'm more now. When I get older, I could kind of like, I'm looking more into a, to the future a lot more vividly than I used to when I was a kid. But I don't know. 
every band's different. You're different from us, and like you're different from the, whatever you are. You, you got to be. And me, I learned to like, you know, I've seen money come and go and come again and go again. Yeah. Uh, and records selling, not selling. They're selling again. Chicks, no chicks. Girlfriend, no girlfriend. It's just like, at the end of the day, man, it's just, it's all the music. Everything else is bullshit. What's your foundation? You know, what's really going to do the work? And, um, you know, obviously, you know, people don't like when bands have hype. But be- behind that hype, there's some behind the scenes. There's 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 real focus and and hard sure. work. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense to me. It it was a different band, you know, and it's not just a vocalist change. I mean, your friend died. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think sometimes people forget that. And I can completely understand why you would want to kind of press reset. I mean, you can't just like pick up where you left off necessarily. No, you can't replace Mitch. And we want, we treated Eddie like Mitch and every other band member that's joined this band, you know, let him come in and he has to be him. And so we kind of gave him like, like, like the suicide silence formula with, with you, with you, you can't stop me. And that's why it didn't really work that well. Mm-hmm. So all right, we need to start over. So he, he could find his own footing because, you know, because after Mitch dies, you can't just re- recreate stuff, and you know, and that and that and that in itself is like a mind fuck that is, we're still trying to wrap, wrap wrap our heads around. You know, I was the only one there at the hospital. You know, there's some serious behind the scenes shit that the people don't realize. So, you know, Mitch died in, in front of me. You know, I saw it happen, and going from that, anything after that, it's even more suicide sounds. Because if I didn't give a fuck before, I really don't give a fuck now. Right about money gear free shit i don't give a fuck man yeah before mitch died that was like we were going downhill like it sucks to be like the fucking cliche man but the fucking drugs and the booze was just too much and if it wasn't mitch it probably been would have been me or someone else because we were we we're all fucking mess i didn't realize that is this a thing that people know i don't know maybe if you know if there's if there's other fins out there that are doing some <laughs> hard, hardcore digging I mean, we have a lot of mutual friends. I, I never heard about it, you know? I mean, obviously, I knew you guys liked to party, but I wasn't aware that it was, you know, that much of an issue. Definitely a, a big uh, a big issue. So, uh, yeah, l- l- lack of focus, trying to focus, trying to find... Because right, cause right before Mitch passed away, I was I, I had it pretty set in my head that I was going to fucking quit. Oh, really? Yeah, this is too much. I'm, I'm over it. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's kind of your band, and you were ready to walk away from it. Yeah, there there was a, a lot of uh, pressure, and you know, especially for for me, you know, every I think every guy in a band has their own time where they're, where where they're going to quit. That was my time, and at that point, you know, I was probably 25, 26, and I've been doing science at that point for ten years straight. I gave up literally, and I still do it. You know, I'm, I'm on thirty, I'm thirty four, still m- making sacrifices, but I really pretty much gave up everything to do this. We could throw like alcohol you're not really thinking straight I, sure. ha- I had a chick i was unhappy with so yeah the guys are coming here i was outside i wouldn't even come inside and then uh they were jamming and then the only guy that came out to see me to say what's up see how uh, i'm doing was uh mitch and uh he came out to the backyard like he's done countless times and we talked you see how i was doing you know little, little chit chatter and then he walked away right, right by my pool walked around the corner like i seen him do a thousand times since i was 14 and that was the last time i saw him Savvy. Yeah, and then it sucks because you're human. We're human, so you need extreme shit to get that switch flipped. Yep. So going from quitting to seeing that and experiencing that, like once, like like the switch was made, and if if I I tried before, I I totally try to sit here, and have bad days, and like try to think about quitting, or my mind won't let it happen. 
it's it's literally it's wired differently. We're like, no, dude, like no matter what's going on, you're going even harder. And and sure enough, you know, that's you know, that's what happened and going hard ever since that, trying to rebuild for respect to Mitch and the legacy that that, that he left behind that's still going and, and to make sure the band is still the best it can be. It, it's a lot of shit and uh I always think about the years ahead you know like all right this is this idea right this little idea it's probably gonna take a few years for it to blossom and so it's just it's putting in time you know well there's a lot there one thing that kind of resonates with me there i'm like a firm believer in the importance of having like if you want to achieve something with your work like creatively i'm a firm believer that you have to have your personal life under control first because like that's like the foundation and if your foundation like rots away because it's out of control then your work is going to get fucked up too and i think a lot of people don't want to hear that but it's just reality it's reality like you got to have a foundation and uh and uh, it's really hard i think every person no matter what you know you, like you do sometimes that works for a little bit but there's always yep. a breaking point where that shit does not work anymore and uh when, when you cross the line to where it doesn't work then you're fucked it just fucking falls apart like in an instant it falls apart yeah especially when you're in a very uh competitive industry like like, like you know like, like any other industry you know like this industry is like a desert you know if if you're unfocused for a second you're fucking dead and someone's going to come up and, and take and take your spot so staying focused is you know just part of part of the battle so obviously you have personal life not really paying out you know things you know, common sense is not so much common sense anymore, you know, and it, get, it gets really hard to, to make really important choices for your business and then evolve other people, you know? Yeah. And especially as you get older, I feel like, at least for me, it's even more important the older I get because like in a way, like my tolerance for bullshit is lower because I know better. Like stuff when I was 23 that was fucked up, I'd just be like, oh, this is just how it is, I guess, whatever that you know, now I would never tolerate. Totally, totally. Yeah, the older you get, like the less bullshit, you know, you, you, you can even handle it. Totally, yeah. It's just like, nope, enough. We're going to stop this right now. <laughs> this is going no farther. The other thing you, you talked about in a couple different ways is like the importance of having perspective, which, you know, I deal with, I mean, not anywhere near like, you know, what, you, what you've been through, but there's been some times where I take it kind of hard I get really irritated with people and like just sometimes I get mad at my audience for sometimes just saying the stupidest shit. And it was really getting to me for a while until I just kind of realized what you said is like, well, yeah, but I've got my health and I'm, you know, love my wife and I live in a cool place like this. I'm focusing on this one little thing that some idiot is saying and letting it just poison my happiness. Yeah. Yeah. You can't can't do that, man. And uh, you really can't not give, give a fuck. But yeah, sometimes you do. Like there is like sometimes, you know, I'll, I don't read comments, but sometimes something will, will come up and I got to because they're saying like, like they're, have, they're having a bad day or something. So, I mean, so so I have like, like like a DM combo. Yeah. So sometimes like it's called for, but other times, you know, it's just got to let it go. And what's actually worse than bad comments is good comments. You get distracted yeah. in a good comments. It's like, oh, shit, like who am I? <laughs> you know, you know, me being older after, you know, I. I started my channel when I was a lot older, so I sort of never fell prey to that. But for sure, if I was like 19 and had a bunch of people telling me how smart and cool I am, I totally would have believed them. Yeah, you know, what happens to most of the hot chicks in high school? 
<laughs> and then and then what happens and what happened to all those few like ugly chicks in high school they are fucking hot in the late <laughs> yeah. 20s and all in the 30s you're like what the fuck and smart they got the best of both yeah it's crazy man you gotta work for it man it's a tough balance dude it is it's super tough i think the hardest part of all of this journey of being a creator of any kind to me at least is just dealing with your own brain and like managing your feelings you're always going to care about your work like that you can't just turn it off you can't turn your feelings off because then it'd be just like a job and you just like you would do shitty work if you turn your feelings off yeah but it's very easy at least for me to let my feelings get the better of me and go off the deep end in various different ways totally yeah and this might vary from person to person but i've found that Sometimes your feelings lie to you and they actually sometimes feelings will actually stem from the mind first. So sometimes since something feels right, like, you know, I've, I've heard other band members even talk about like some like limiting stuff. But if you accept it first here, then it feels right. So if, if, you, if you, whatever you accept mentally could actually change how you feel. So there's like this. It's really hard to like feel what's right and like how how you should uh, react to things. That's a tough one. So you're like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this. <laughs> yeah. You know, just sometimes you could, man. Yeah. Just, you know, I'm, I'm in a band. So you know, just sometimes you want, you want to fucking choke him to death, you know, like sure. or just, <laughs> that feeling is, is not real. You know, it's like once, cause your emotions feel like you're, you're so like, Oh, fuck, shit. <laughs> but, uh, but then once you kind of, of course, you, you know, when you get older, you kind of like just take a breath and just chill out and Oh shit. You know, then, then you kind of calm down. It kind of, calm down men mentally i found and then it just kind of goes away it's weird that's definitely my biggest problem is i get pissed off at the people that i work with and i want to kill them and <laughs> it's just it's so stupid when you're you know when you step back and look at it you're like why was i so mad about that little thing like i literally want to murder them sometimes it's always a small shit dude i don't yeah. know what it is over like the fact that someone was five minutes late for a phone call you know i'm like i want to fucking strangle that motherfucker he's late again <laughs> <laughs> again and then um you know i think that's you know an example of just you just gotta like adapt you can't change people you know but you can change your like your reaction to stuff yeah oh fucking alex our drummer alex i i, I fucking love him man but he used to come to practice hours late <laughs> wow <laughs> and walk in like nothing happened and i was like fuck but but now you get older and he's he's on point now but man back then i want to fucking kill him that would make me angry like hours late i have a hard time with minutes late let alone hours i'm just like you man you see him like a couple minutes late is enough to fucking get get me pissed off too but in time you get older you kind of realize how to um just kind of go go with the flow yeah it's tough dude it took me years to like for someone to do something like what you're saying and inside truly be cool yeah oh he's five, five minutes late it's all good we're fucking chilling out having coffee outside it's all good man yeah and I think it's kind of like you said about taking people as they are, like as a musician. And that is true of them personally, too. It's like some people are just always going to be late for the call. And, you know, that's and it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. It's as big of a deal as you make it. And I have a bad habit of making it a big deal, bigger deal than it needs to be. <laughs> I, I feel you, man. It's I feel you. It's fucking tough. And you also it's you learn it, it's OK, but like you can't expect other people to be as obsessed about the thing you're doing as you right nobody's gonna care as much as you do no no one you know and the, once you kind of accept that everything else is cool you know you, you can control what you can you have you have have your shit laid out solid but you know everything else that also the people you know is just you can't expect them 
It's tough. Yep. Gotta let go and just go with the flow. All right. Well, I will let you go because I got another call coming up here in a minute, but really appreciate you coming on and doing this awesome conversation. And I don't know, anything else you want to add before I let you go? Yeah. If you're a fan and you're listening to this, thank you for, I mean, if you just heard us on this last record or you've been following us since like our EP, you know, thank you for listening and, and thank you for following this uh, this journey and, and being a part of this, this journey with us and know that like everything we do, it, it is for a reason. So it's self-titled it is for a reason. It's like we we, uh, we still know who we are. And uh, I, I know we, we still know where, where we came from. Everything we do is to make sure we, we bring the best record for to you guys, because I know, you know, I know I know what it's like to put on a record when, you know, when you're having a shitty day and on all you have is your your favorite band you put on your favorite song and then shit's better i still do it and i'm 34 so so we understand that so we do our best to put out the uh, the best record possible now and for the future and uh, again thank you for still being around right on all right my friends that does it for this episode of the podcast if you made it this far thank you thank you for listening we sincerely appreciate each and every one of you if you want to help the show there's a couple things that you can do first of all share it on social media if you share it tag us tag finn mckenty that's me and tag deanna chapman that's a producer Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works, too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.